Palace's Las Palmas Road. Just Ronaldo! on his right, hangs it up for Ronaldo, oh, settles, shoots, scores! Cristiano again! And he vaporizes the defenders! Ya acaba la derecha para Xavi, asistencia de Xavi, mezcla para Messi, 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 immens Messi, Ankara 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 Messi, Levitando o jogador do Santos. Aí o Neymar protegeu, fez o drible. Que lance do Neymar! Que golaço! Gol! Guerreiro. Here's Giroud. A deflection and Mbappé gives France the lead. The youngest ever goal scorer at a World Cup for France, 19-year-old Kylian Mbappé. He just shook one, shook one. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to the first episode of Stoppage Time, a soccer podcast. I'm Matt Prisco. Um, I'm going to be the host for this show. Uh, who knows if I'll continue just doing it by myself, but for now, it's just going to be me. And really, the goal of this podcast is just to bring on different people who either played soccer, uh, enjoy soccer, or hopefully some people who are actually in the soccer industry to talk about the sport. Um, you know, growing up, I didn't like to run too much. So playing soccer was basically a non-starter for me, um, despite some of my relatives' best efforts. But my grandfather, who was my closest relative, uh, was obsessed with soccer. And I used to ask him back in the day, actually, to change the channel for the Red Sox, which those who know me now would probably find that hilarious consider I literally can't stomach baseball at all anymore. Um, but my grandfather, you know, he was born in a small town in Calabria, which is the southernmost part of Italy. And uh, he played soccer all his life. He coached soccer. He was obsessed with it. And, um, you know, because he was born in Calabria, he picked, a, you know, one of the big teams down there, which is, I feel like what most young kids would do to try and attach themselves to one of the teams that they could actually root for. And uh, he picked Juventus. So after a while, you know, I started to follow with him, mostly just to kind of keep up with him. And because I just liked being around him, <laughs> liked enjoying my time with him. And that's what he liked to do. So I, I would say my passion for this really started watching the 2006 World Cup. And as our guest here on the show knows, um, I, I, the 2006 World Cup was filled with some incredible names and it got me really passionate about watching the sport and my grandfather what was cool about watching the sport with him was that he would watch but also explain to me you know here's what happened here's why it happened here's who did what to make x y and z happen and really because he liked to explain these types of things to me so well um i learned a lot about the game and you know like when you see, if you see me, if you know me, you know, I'm the furthest looking thing from a soccer player, but I learned a lot about the game from that. And 
really because I got so hooked. Uh, he and I would watch Juventus games religiously together, you know, from the time I was old enough to give a shit to, uh, you know, his last day on earth, which by the way, we buried him in, with his Andrea Pirlo jersey in his casket, which he would have loved. And I'm sure he did. And I couldn't be more happy that he passed, you know, this passion along to me. So um, that's really why I wanted to start the start the podcast each week. My hope is to, you know, have a new guest on. And this week we have a friend of mine who obviously uh, I've known this kid since let's say sixth grade, fifth grade, but our families have been connected since earlier than that. Um, he's played soccer at a pretty high level for a decent period of his life, knows a ton about soccer, great friend of mine, and I love shooting the shit about the game with him. Dave Luongo, welcome to the first ever episode. Thanks for having me, Matt. Um, it's great to be able to be on here after such a great tournament, and I'm, I'm glad to be able to talk about you know, what we talk about every day in our group chat exactly. and individually and you know, the stuff that we die for. So I'm just, I'm super happy to be able to get that all out here. Yeah. Can you tell people a little bit about your background in playing soccer? Um, you don't have to go like too, too in depth, but tell people about like some of the club teams you played for your college experience, et cetera, playing for the greatest high school as well in <laughs> Massachusetts. Yeah. So I also started playing soccer when I was like three and similar to Matt, <clears throat> our grandparents were actually friends and, um, my grandfather coached Matt's uncles and, you know, Medford Italians just knowing each other super well. So I've been playing since I was three. I'm still playing on the men's team now. I was lucky to be able to play um, in college soccer at Trinity College. We weren't very good, but um, we had a good group, a lot, a lot of great guys. And, um, yeah, it's, it's been my passion my entire life. I'm actually thinking about going into sports psychology as a future career path because I love it so much. And I'm a Milan fan, so me and Matt always are talking about Syria, and have watched games over the years, seeing our teams are at the highs and the lows. And thankfully, my club is on on its way up. And Juve, we we can figure out where Juve is going. I don't think we really know yet. <laughs> I was wondering where you were gonna go with that to spin it back positive for me. Thanks, pal. But um, Matt Matt did enjoy great glory for. About half of my life at Juve, so I don't I don't feel too bad. But yeah, um, just an avid fan of soccer and always love talking about it. So, well, we had a lot to talk about this month. Obviously, it was kind of a kick in the pants to have to lose club football. Um, for Juve, we were just finally starting to go from unwatchable to not that bad, actually. And of course, the season stops. But this was a pretty amazing World Cup. Um. I had really low expectations heading into this World Cup because, and let's face it, this was in Qatar. They stopped the club season for this. Um, you know, I always say the World Cup is just as much for the fans as it is the players. And I felt like this World Cup was like relatively inaccessible for a lot of the average fans. Um, it's in a place like Qatar, which is, you know, not necessarily the most welcoming environment for some people. But on the field, it really turned out to be a pretty incredible, incredible tournament. What were your just overall thoughts on, you know, how this panned out based on your expectations? Yeah, I totally agree with you, mimicking what you said about having low expectations for the tournament. Given that it's in the middle of a club season in November, 
and that there are already so many injuries happening and there's already too many games being played for the club teams. And having the teams only go to their camp a week before the first game, I kind of thought, you know, it's a World Cup, so I'm going to follow it. And naturally, I'm way too big of a fan to ever be like, yeah, I'm not going to watch it. It's stupid because of this or that. But yeah, we watched everything. everything. <laughs> we watched every we watched every minute we could. Yeah. <laughs> and and I try I tried through, you know, if I could schedule it around my clients, I did. If I could watch it in class, I did. I'm not even gonna lie. Like any given moment I watched, I, I, I was happy to watch the third place game. I know people don't like that game. It's another game. And it was Modric's last game in that Croatia shirt. Anyhow, yeah, going into it, super low expectations. And in terms of the play, which we're gonna get into. It, it provided a lot of big moments for some big players. It had some great stories with Morocco doing what they did, Croatia doing what they did, other underground stories such as, you know, Japan and South Korea getting out of the groups. We saw some guys play their last games with their with their international team. So overall, I thought it was a great, a great World Cup. Still feels a little bit weird as some massive games seemed quiet, um, which didn't didn't feel right. You know, there was some I forget which games. I think it was like a Portugal-Switzerland game, which on paper is a great matchup, and it's also a knockout stage game. Yeah. That felt like there was maybe 30,000 people there. It was, it was a quiet crowd. That Yeah, could have heard a pin drop. Round of 16 between two teams, one that went to the quarterfinals of the Euro and the other ones, it's like a staple of every major tournament. Like, it doesn't really make any sense. So, I know, o- overall, you know, the fan atmosphere could have been better. The human rights thing. I don't know if that's something you want to get into, but that's. A I was going to say part. we can't just exactly be like, yeah, you know that whole human rights piece, and then just leave it be. But that's kind of what we have to do. Um, that's that's yeah. We can go on for hours about that. Yeah, we we really could go on for a long time. Like I I wasn't happy to say the least. Like most people that they had the World Cup in Qatar. We're not going to get into this now. We probably can do a whole different episode on corruption and FIFA and UEFA and. Um, you know, how it it's impacted the sport. But let's just kind of keep this about the play. I think number one story here, obviously, we need to talk about Lionel Messi. Um, Dave, my buddy Dave here is a uh he's a he's Portuguese, big Ronaldo fan. So this is a uh, this is a tough week for him, but I think we can all really appreciate Lionel Messi and what he's brought to the game over the years. Like when I mentioned to you when I was just starting to get into soccer. You know, Messi was just coming up and what an unbelievable time for him to just come up. Um, you know, I started to really understand the game, I think, pretty well around 2010, around 2009. And I don't say really well. I'm still learning so, so much about it. Um, but I had a good grasp of who was good and how good they were. And when you saw Lionel Messi play, it was obvious he was the best player in the field every single time he played. Um want to map, map map out now his Argentina career, right? In 2008, when he was starting to come onto the scene for Barcelona, where he was scoring, I think, at 30, he had 38 goals in that, that next club season, um, and certainly double-digit assists. You know, he won the 08 Olympics. There was a huge comparison with him and Maradona, both left-footed players, both really creative, but both could score great goals. Um and the expectations were probably as high as ever for any player after that. Um, Olympic gold isn't a huge trophy, but 
for people in Argentina who are relatively romantic about the game, which no shame in that I'm Italian, uh, but they put a lot of pressure on him. And despite him basically resetting any expectations for any player in his time at Barca, you know, he really wasn't linking well with Carlos Tevez, wasn't playing as well under Diego Maradona. They limped into the, uh, they limped into the world 2010 world cup. He had zero goals, one assist in the five games when they lost in the quarterfinals there. Lost in the quarterfinals of the 2011 Copa America despite three assists. And Messi actually went two and a half years without a competitive goal for Argentina. Um, but starting in 2012, he began to kind of tear it up like, he, like we'd seen at this time with Barca. And coming off what I remember people saying was potentially his worst season at Barcelona to date, which, by the way, is still better than almost anyone anywhere. He went into the 2014 World Cup with a really, really strong team, lit up the group stage, got a winning assist against Switzerland in the round of 16, had a pretty uninspiring 1-0 quarterfinal uh, performance where they won against Belgium, and then Argentina won in the 2014 World Cup shootout against uh, semifinals against the Netherlands, and he had basically a dud in the final against Germany. So up until this point, pretty pretty strong international career for almost anyone else. But when you're being compared with Diego Maradona, who's one of the best international uh, players of all time, I think the Argentina fans probably had higher expectations for him than almost anyone else. And this started to get to him. He lost two Copa America finals um, in a row in 2015, 2016 ended up retiring from Argentina, came back to play in the 2018 World Cup and played pretty well, but they lost in the round of 16 to France in a 4-3 game where he had two assists. Finally, in 2021, he got his Copa America, and this was his Mona Lisa. <laughs> this, this was the best international tournament I've ever seen Leo Messi play. Game by game, was the best player in the field. Seven goals, three assists. Very clutch when he needed to be. Dave, do you think he, he's officially the greatest player of all time? Uh, you had to ask me that question? Yeah, I have to ask you that question because I know that you're going to answer it unbiased. I'm so unbiased. I'll, here's what I'll say. I'll say he's the most talented player we've ever seen touch a soccer ball when it comes to natural ability, ability to read the game, finishing, passing, dribbling, and he just won the biggest tournament that he could possibly win. He was the best player at it. He was the second highest scorer at it. And I think he was maybe top two or three in assists. And he got two goals in the final. With all that being said, <laughs> I'm going to let people who are listening decide what I, – I can't, I can't get myself to say it, but – if you put all those things together, you can make your best judgment. I'm very happy for him. I'm impressed by him. He do he's doing it at 35, and you know, going back all that history of his international career so far, there's a lot of you know what people would call failures based on you know what you were saying, right? The expectations that that we set forth towards him. But at the end of the day, when you look back at his career, his impact on the game, what are people going to remember? Yeah, they'll remember maybe that he missed some penalties in the Copa final, but what they're really going to remember is this last tournament. He's a, he's a World Cup champion. 
He brought back joy to his country. He did it playing out of his mind. And you know what? Like he he deserves that. He's a, he's he's the, he's the king of soccer and he's an incredible player. And all, and like you know, the main reason why I didn't want Argentina to win, as I share with you, is I'm, I'm not a huge fan of a lot of those players and the way they act and the way they foul and the way yeah. they talk. But you know what? Like Messi, people were a little upset about how he acted. I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't care at all. He's 35. He's accomplished so much. He's done everything he can for his country. He was pushed out of Barcelona. The guy deserves it. He can act how he wants. And now he's a World Cup champion. So sure. Uh, I can I can say he's he's probably the, the best player ever. And you know what? I appreciate you saying that because I don't think either of us necessarily grew up fans of Lionel Messi. Being able to appreciate Lionel Messi is a totally different thing than being a fan of his. Like I'm not a fan of his. I think the reason I'm not a fan of his probably is because of his fans. I mean, they they would have told you he was the greatest player of all time because he he made the Copa Finals against Chile. Like they would use any excuse. And, and the reason I bring back up um all his history and I wanted to kind of go through it is because yeah, you do see some failures sprinkled in there. Um, what I think this was truly was after 15 years of fighting for his country's love, he did it. You said it yourself, man. All those failures, missing the, the penalty in the, the second uh, Chile loss in the Copa Copa final, they'll never remember that anymore. All they're going to remember is him standing on that stage with a cape. The fuck was that? Um, albeit with a cape. But holding the World Cup trophy, you know, the, the stats speak for themselves. Sure, a lot of those were penalties. In the end of the day, Messi did absolutely everything he was required to do and then some to win a World Cup. And you'll never be able to take that away from him. That's that's the biggest issue. This is also, it's important to note, in my opinion, that I don't think he necessarily needed the World Cup to be considered the greatest player of all time already. Um, I think this is checking a box, right? And for players of this caliber, are we at the point really where checking a box makes you a better player? Do you kind of understand where I'm saying with that? Yeah, so there's kind of two sides to that. So on one hand, the town he has been, always will be, and still is, you know, that was enough to for people to say that he's a GOAT, no doubt. And Plenty of people who thought he was a goat before, obviously, are going to hammer that down even more after this. But I think it's something like you said; it's a, it's a cherry on the top, right? A lot of people wanted to see to to call someone the greatest player of all time. They wanted him to, you know, lift the greatest achievement that you could lift, the greatest trophy you could lift in the sport. So, sure, on one hand, yeah, his talent and, and what he's done over the years was enough for plenty of people to call that, rightfully so. But when you combine that with the best trophy in the world, what else can people say? You know, like there's always someone that's going to say no and, you know, come up with excuses, but that's actually a whole different conversation for another day, by the way, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, is this, it the best no, trophy in the world? That's, that's the other hard piece because it's, it's the highest honor. It's if, you the highest any player, honor. if you ask any player, would they win? Would they rather win champions league or world cup? I think 99 out of 100 times, it's going to be World Cup. That's I, I think I think probably that's the case, yeah. Even Ronaldo, if you listen to the interviews that he did, which he did a few uh, before this World Cup, 
he even said himself, if I won the World Cup, it, it would be, he's like, I'd retire. Um, you can see the importance of winning this trophy, obviously. So, yeah, it's not necessarily just checking a box. Like, you know, it's it's not like you're you're checking off, like, your work to-do list. Like, he won the World Cup. I'm just saying a player like Messi, 35 years old, you know, what's it, 690 goals and 340 assists. I don't <laughs> like playing for Barcelona, 10 plus league titles, got gonna have a couple league titles with uh PSG. Not that they're really that meaningful. Uh three Champions League for leagues for Messi. I know he has four technically, but he wasn't necessarily involved in that first one. I'd say three Champions Leagues, two Champions League final goals, I believe. He he's he's completed football. Um and I'm happy for him. I really am happy for him. I'm happy I got to see his career. Whatever happens from here, ideal scenario, in my opinion, I'd love to see him go to MLS, live it up in Miami, absolutely destroy MLS. I mean, people have no idea. If he went there, even at 35 years old, people have no idea. You thought it was easy for him against teams like Australia? Like, let's see what happens when he's playing against MLS players. Um and I would love to see Cristiano Ronaldo follow suit. Maybe we get a little bit of a rivalry. Except, I don't know, you think Ronaldo is scared of doing something like that against Messi? They should both come here. <laughs> I totally, totally, like, it would also just change the fandom of, of of soccer in the United States. Like, I know myself, I'm not regularly watching the MLS right now. I did toss on Toronto FC when Insigne was playing with Bernadeschi because Bernadeschi is now – Pretty much like Messi was in Europe, but but in the MLS. So imagine Messi actually Messi in the MLS. I know. I, I I'd watch any game he's in. I mean, I think I think as a fan of the sport, you'd be kind of dumb not to. So it would increase viewership in the states, and you know, like he's like he's now that he's done everything. Right. What else? Does he, what else does he need to do? He can just enjoy yeah. himself. And, and, and to, be, to be fair, like I think you made it. You made an important point. I should have mentioned before. I said this as well. Like. I'm not typically an advocate for great players who still have some something left in the tank to go to the United States, but you can see, but it might seem crazy to you, but this is how good Lionel Messi really was in his career. Like he has dipped off a little bit, especially from a consistency standpoint. Um, so if that's the case, why not go to MLS and give us this kind of amazing entertainment? Like you said, because what's the alternative he stays at PSG another, another few years, like, Honestly, I'm okay without that. I'm not loving. I'm, I'm not loving watching Messi at PSG. Like we don't. Neither of us are dying to watch League One. Let's be real. Speaking of PSG, let's make the transition. We've talked about it. Messi confirmed goat. We're happy for him, even if we aren't necessarily fans of him. If you're a fan of the game, you're happy with what you saw yesterday. Oh, Kylian Mbappe, dude! What the hell was that in that final, man? It's just. I, we I wanted to take a step back with Mbappe too, and talk about his big game prowess too. You'll probably hear me if you listen to this podcast, or if you just hear me talk about soccer, talk often about how playing in Liga is it's unfortunate for players like Neymar, Mbappe, etc. Because you want to watch them playing against the best players in the world on a weekly basis, but they're not. They're only doing it in the Champions League, and for Mbappe. Somehow, despite playing in Ligo and dominating Ligo, 
And by the way, winning it with Monaco, which is an incredible accomplishment. I want to talk about his big game prowess that he's built up in that time. First full Champions League campaign, six goals in nine games, two against City in the round of 16, three against Dortmund in the quarters, and one against Juve in the semis. How old is he again? 17, 18 years old? Maybe 18. Once he moved to PSG, he still played great in the Champions League, but didn't have as many notable knockout stage moments in the Champions League until he made the final with PSG in 2019-20, which was obviously, if you watch those games, Neymar was probably the most impactful player. And that had a lot to do with the fact that Mbappe was dealing with some injuries heading into that. It was really the next year where he had a hat trick at the Camp Nou against Barcelona in the round of 16, two goals in the quarters against Bayern Munich, and then they lost to City in the semis. And he, and was, and he was hurt again, right? And he, and he got hurt again in that, exactly. And then last year, PSG drew Real Madrid in the round of 16, which is horrible luck. And Mbappe scored an incredible winner in the first leg and another had another in the second leg, but PSG lost 3-1. to one. So on a club level, the big game prowess has been there. Oh, yeah, he also won the last World Cup, scored in the final, scored, I think, twice against Argentina, and I and drew a penalty in that crazy 4-3 round of 16 game. He has the resume already going into this. And then in this tournament, man, like, yeah, you can look, you can point to the England game. He was pretty quiet, and I think France played terrible in that. You can point to the semifinals against Morocco. Like, did he really do anything special other than that one cool run that he had where Amrabat ate him at the end? Um, Not really, but one of the most legendary final performances I've ever seen in my life. No, no doubt. It's one of the craziest turn of events I've ever seen as well in a final. Cause for 80 minutes, it was quite literally one of the more lopsided world cup finals. I can remember in my life, probably the most lopsided one in my lifetime that I recall watching and understanding. And then all of a sudden minute 80 comes around. It's like, what the fuck am I watching? Like it, I couldn't even like, I was, I was like ready to just like, you know, go to sleep or like turn the game off or just like whatever. Like the game, the game was done and sealed until that first penalty was called, and then you know finishing that penalty, great penalty. Emmy goes the right way, almost saves it, but that's hit hard enough and low enough to the corner that it's going to be a very very difficult save, despite how good Emmy was, has been. Yep, and then. That volley, man, to connect on that and to hit it with, with that power and keeping it low to the corner. Dude. Ridiculous technique in that moment, too. After doing nothing all game, it's incredible. And it's like you can criticize him. And like as we do when he doesn't play well, where is what is he doing? Why is he not on the ball? Why is he not in, in, like having any impact on this game? But when you're that talented and you're able to pull things out like that, does it really matter? That second I, goal is one of the great goals in the history of the World Cup. Like, he took down that ball from Rabio with his head, played it back to – who was it in front of him? Was it Thuram that played him, Thuram, back, yep. played him yep. through? And Thuram's pass back to him. He literally volleys it unstoppable into the right corner. I mean, like – what can you say about a goal like that in a moment like that? And like you said, like he hadn't really done anything up until that point. And 
I don't know what it is. Sometimes when you just you watch games and you get these little feelings, he, he scored that penalty. And just the way he celebrated, like it wasn't like too, too crazy, but with just a lot of confidence, he picked up that ball, ran it back, and you're like, oh, shit, game on. And France really lived up to it. From then, from there, the way I see this game, 70 minutes of total Argentina domination, like you said. Then a weird 10 minutes where France seemed to like kind of look like they're getting back into it. Oh, penalty, 2-1, France take over, regulation from there. Then an extra time, it was just end-to-end shit the whole way. It was so good. Is this the best game you ever watched in your life? It has to be. I I mean, I can't remember another game with so much on the line between guys like Messi and Mbappe in a World Cup final at the end of the game. I just can't remember. Like, they both them. scored. Like, like they both scored three and two. That's insane. Three and two. It's unbelievable. It's, what other game was like quite literally end to end? Like from Emmy making an insane save to Lauturo shitting the bed five times. Like it. it that it's game. Like yeah. <laughs> you could barely breathe. Like watching that. That was. It was. It was nuts. There's so many moments. There's so many things to talk about. There's so many performances to, to call out. On both sides, it's just like I don't even know where to begin with, like what we witnessed. And I'm just, I'm just glad that I'm old enough to understand the significance of that performance and and how big it was that a guy like Mbappe did that and a guy like Messi did it and won it. So it's it's just incredible. Like, what a great advert for the sport too. It, absolutely incredible. And from our perspective, we I hope people here in the United States who are just watching the World Cup for the first time realize like. Oh man, like this stuff's pretty good, especially when when it's good, it's really good. I don't think there's any sport better to watch than end to end soccer. Um, right, and 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 I said to you guys yesterday too, what happened yesterday? We're recording this on Monday, December nineteenth. What happened yesterday could not happen in any other sport. If you dominate a game the way absolutely. Argentina did, say in football, American football, or like basketball, baseball, it's not going to just turn around like that. No. You know that. No, that, 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 that's that's basically without the goals, a blowout in terms of like performance. Every single French player was getting outplayed by every single Argentinian player. Like, and it wasn't close either. Like, every Argentine player was outstanding in those first 70 minutes. Unbelievable. And one more thing. Like I said, we're recording this on Monday. And Bobby's 23. <laughs> he turns so that, 24 that, tomorrow. That was going to be my question to you. <laughs> He's doing um, all this at 23. I... Like, I don't take it lightly saying this. Like, he he has entered himself into the GOAT discussion now. I didn't think there was any possible way, even with a World Cup win, in my mind, if you asked me before the tournament, would he put himself in the GOAT debate at this age? I'd say no. But when you take the time to think back at his big game prowess, his league title with Monaco at 18 years old, his unbelievable, like 12 goals in 14 games at the World Cup, unbelievable record on the biggest stage with France. When, by the way, there's been a lot of pressure on him to deliver with France because he's playing at PSG and he hasn't gotten the Champions League with PSG. He's totally delivered and exceeded expectations. I think he's in the GOAT debate already. What do you think? I think he's headed there. I don't think he's there yet. I think he needs a Belindor 
because to be considered the GOAT, you at least have to for one, if not multiple, you know, Messi has seven, which we can, which I would love to dispute. Um, Ronaldo has five. A bunch of other guys have at least two. He needs to be the best player in the world for that entire year, like undisputed. And he's become, he's come close a bunch of times. Don't get me wrong. But like, you know, pairing a full great year with the Champions League with performances like that internationally, it should come. We just need to remember the other two guys that we've talked about that could be goats, Messi and Ronaldo. They both had Champions Leagues and Ballon d'Ors at his age, which is even crazier to think about because he's, he's so good at 23. Yeah. And those other two guys also had Ballon d'Ors at that age, which is like nuts. <laughs> but I, 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 I'd be I think shocked. I want to clarify too. I don't think he's like in the debate, obviously, like career wise. Like he hasn't even come close to touching career accomplishment wise what Cristiano Ronaldo, Leo Messi, Pele, Maradona have achieved. But I think very different circumstances. You bring up that he doesn't have a Ballon d'Or. Number one, I've seen so many Fugazi Ballon d'Ors that I'm starting to wonder if I should even care about this. Um, There are so many players who are the best ever at their position that never won a Ballon d'Or. So I have a problem with the award in general, but I see what you're saying. My argument back is that at that age, Lionel Messi and or Cristiano Ronaldo were nowhere near achieving you know, two World Cups, scoring in two, both the finals that he won. Um, I know he didn't complete the job, but three goals. And, I mean, he did everything he possibly could have. And so did Messi, by the way. If he had lost that yesterday, like I still would have said, he's the GOAT, he's the best player. Um, winning and losing definitely matters, but in the end of the day, you can only really control what you can control. Um, and so I think not to say Mbappe is like already there, he has a long way to go. I'm saying I officially now think he can get there if he oh, totally, totally. And the other thing I'd point out would be part of the reason why Messi and Ronaldo were held in this regard for as long as they have been is because of the consistency across entire seasons for decades, or pretty much, you know, let's just call it like 15 and 20 years. I I don't know the exact number off the top of my head for both of those guys, like being at the top of the top of the top of the top week in, week out. So when I think about Mbappe, in terms of these like tournament performances, it's already ridiculous. What we want from him is him to do it every week, and do it in the Champions League consistently, which I think he's fully capable of, as we know how talented he is. And now we know his ability, not 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 just now, but even more so now, we know his ability to step up in big games and in big moments within those games. So I have such a high value on longevity that, like, that's the biggest question that I have about him is, like, can he stay healthy? Can he take care of his body? And can he do this for, like, the next 10, 12 years? I don't see why not, but he still has to do it. You know, freak right. things happen, other shit happens, and I just pray he leaves France because I want to see him play against better teams every weekend, and that would just make it for a better case for himself, you know, and, and, he, and he can do it. So it's, it's not like he's he's just, like, racking up goals and assists in France. I mean, yeah, he is, right. but it's not that he's not capable to do it elsewhere. Yeah, exactly, and I think you kind of re- – you really summed it up well. Consistency and availability – 
are really what separates players of that level of talent. Like that level of talent only comes around once in a real while. So the ones who are going to make it to becoming the next Ronaldo, Messi, Mbappe level, Holland is going to be in that discussion too, are the ones who have who have the consistency. They're doing what they do every week for the most part. And they have the availability too. Those guys don't get hurt. So you're right. It's going to be very interesting. Pivoting just a little bit because we've obviously, we had to talk about those two big names. It's worth it. They both really did a lot as far as impacting their own legacies, which in a lot of ways, like that's the beauty of this sport. Like that's really what it's all about. Um, I did want to talk about some of the upsets in this World Cup. Um, some of the lesser known names in this World Cup. How about Japan and Costa Rica? Um, knock, almost knocking out Spain and Germany both. Obviously, what ended up happening is that Germany was eliminated. They finished third in the group. Um, and Japan ended up getting through with Spain. But that was pretty incredible. Where, where, do, where does Germany go from here? I'm going to hand the torch over to the Musiala. <laughs> the kid is ridiculous. I saw a stat today that was... um. Most dribbles completed at the tournament, and Bappe was in first with 25. Musiala, who only played three games, was in second in the entire tournament with 19 completed dribbles. If you could compare him to one player from history, I got a name in my head. That's why I'm asking that. And you might yell at me for it. Oh, I I, I don't know if this this could be a random, like, shout because, like, I'm I'm thinking of, like, a – Crazy mobile, tall, athletic, attacking mid. Thinking of, who are you thinking? Go ahead. Who are you thinking? Haka. Yeah, because literally, I was, I'm thinking the same thing. Someone that can move like that from that position, score, be, take guys on one on one. I think it's I'm the not way. Mad. I'm not mad at that. I'm, I, I really I think, can't be mad at that. I think it's the ease with which he takes guys on that reminds me so much of Kaka. And then you know he's got the ability to score if you give him an inch, right? Like right. that will that part of the game will improve for him too. Um, he's not he ha- isn't necessarily close to his peak from a finishing perspective too. So just look out at what this kid's going to be able to do. Like, right? I I agree with you, man. He's the future of that team. The unfortunate piece for them is when you look at what has lost them. Like they had an um, they have an unbelievable midfield. Like Goretzka, Gundawan, and obviously Kimish are among the best midfielders in the world. Their attacking options, especially on the wings, are incredible. I mean, Sane is an incredible player. Gnabry is an incredible player. But reality is, they don't have a striker and they don't have center backs. Um, and I don't really see anybody coming up. There's no Franz Beckenbauer coming up in the future. Uh, for them at center back, which is probably what they need at this point to salvage. I'm horrible. I just, dude, Schlotterbeck, Sula, could they have been worse in this tournament? It was terrible. Even Rudiger, who I expect a lot from, I'm just like, I don't know. I I have to rethink a little bit about him. I mean, it's something a lot of people would say that he had a he had a good enough tournament. Um, I'm not saying he was poor, but. I'm not going to go ahead and pat him on the back based on what I saw either. I think Germany could be in potentially a little bit of trouble as they enter this Musiala era. Yeah, they have to make sure to not waste his like these years for him because he's so good and 
like I said, we just talked about Mbappe. You never know how long his talents are going to last, especially when you're playing so much at a young age. Like, I, I'm not trying to be pessimistic here, but sometimes those guys can burn out. I, I experienced that many times firsthand with plenty of Milan young talents that just were so good at such a young age that played too much and then didn't live up to the expectations because they were just either overwhelmed by the pressure or just burnt out by playing too many minutes. So it's like there's too many good players to be performing like that, not even to just like not get out of the group, but a team of that quality with in terms of quality on paper, you got to be at least pushing to get to quarters slash semifinals. Yeah. There's no, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to. Yep. Well, Hansi Flick's going to be back for them. So let's see what happens with those guys. Um, Spain. Were you surprised? I wasn't. Not really. You know, everyone loves talking about possession and a thousand passes a game, but what were they doing with it? <laughs> it, it, it and, and, and I actually kind of see a lot of parallels between Spain and Germany. Spain's back line doesn't impress me in any way possible. No, nothing about that. not to take Sergio Ramos to this World Cup, who's playing great for PSG. Right. And it, so, so what's that? And also, they don't have a reliable striker. You can say Morata. I wouldn't call Morata reliable. No, I agree. I totally agree with you. No, he's an awesome option off the bench in those types of games, as we saw against Italy in the Euros last year. Shameless plug in the semifinals. Um, he came off the bench and provided a little bit of a spark, but I agree. That's that's probably his role at this point in his career. He's clutch in a lot of ways, but he's not necessarily a reliable number nine. Yeah, I, I, dude, I agree with you, man. What were they doing with that possession? What would their plan have ever been with the squad that they had to score goals? Like, I, that was my question going into the tournament. How are they going to score goals? They scored seven against Costa Rica, and I'm like, man, I'm an idiot. Watch the rest of the games. They couldn't do anything against quality opponents. Um, they could be in some trouble too, heading into the next few years, despite the fact that they have some really promising young midfielders. Um, one of the games I also, one of the groups I thought was also interesting, Switzerland, South Korea, both second place finishes in their groups, um, only to get really demolished by Portugal and Brazil, respectively in the round of 16. I'll be honest with you. Happy for Switzerland. They actually had an amazing run in last year's Euros. They beat France. They beat, uh, they almost beat Spain in the quarterfinals. Wiped out 6-1 by Portugal in that game where they actually started, um, what's his name? Gonzalo Ramos or whatever the hell it was over, over Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, Pretty embarrassing performance. Same thing with South Korea. And you feel bad for them because it's not an embarrassing performance in the tournament. It's an embarrassing performance when you lose like that, right? So you feel for them because they were great stories, but really weren't the kind of the quality of teams you expect to see in the knockout stage of a major tournament. Um, a little harsh or fair? I think it's fair. I think, you know, the goals are, goals are different based on the team. You are, of course. So for South Korea, it's like joy to a country and joy for that region to have two um, Asian teams get through. So that's that's pretty cool to see because, you know, how dominated this, this sport's been by European teams for the last 20 years. And, you know, no teams outside of Europe winning, obviously, until Argentina just did yesterday. So I think it's awesome to see them go through. Switzerland, like, 
you kind of feel like they peaked at the Euros. Were they really going to be able to pull it off again? I mean, Summer was out of his mind at the Euros. And Portugal just got me way too excited after that game to only do what they did the following game. <laughs> but um, Switzerland has some, like, you know, exciting talents. And Bolo had a great tournament. I thought I thought Kanji played well. I think Shaka always plays well for Switzerland. Um, Shakiri scored a goal while he's playing for Chicago Fire, which was kind of funny to see. That was awesome. <laughs> it's uh, it was cool to see his little uh, his little run there at the at the tournament. Like a player that I feel like if you've watched over the years, especially for my Liverpool friend, um, my Liverpool friends, he's the kind of guy you you got to root for when he's in there. So. That was kind of cool. I, I agree with you, man. I agree with almost everything you said, particularly about Asia and uh, having a couple representatives in the knockout stage of the World Cup. That is really cool. I think I make the point, and maybe I'm a little harsh to Switzerland and South Korea, because in the end of the day, there was a team, obviously, that was the team of the tournament, um, Morocco. Uh, sneaky good group stage. They beat Belgium, who obviously wasn't that good, but they beat them nevertheless 2-0. They beat Canada, and they drew Croatia. Heading and going into the knockout stage, you know, beating Spain, beating Portugal, giving a great fight against France, that's an incredibly, incredibly reputable tournament for almost any international team, no? Absolutely. And while doing that, like, producing some great moments of play, some particularly great counterattacking. I Definitely. mean, they weren't obviously they weren't possessing the ball, which we've seen doesn't really matter, does it? No. Um, or dominating games, but like when they had the ball, you felt like they were dangerous. Absolutely, I I totally but, agree with you. It wasn't just them kind of shit housing. They were really really good on the counterattacks. Like like you said, it's not all about having the ball at your feet. We're kind of taught that because we grew up in the Barcelona era the manchester city eras here now too where you see both of those teams dominate those leagues with really good high quality possession based football but it's you can play a different style you can dominate the spaces and make the right decisions on a counterattack and be just effective if not better as a team um morocco had really high quality performances from almost everybody on their team in particular uh amrabat he's going to be going to a big club now yeah, he's he's leaving Fiorentina. I, I I think we're all expecting him to go to Liverpool. Nico Shearer, I think, says Liverpool is deep in discussions for him, so I'm not surprised. Size from Wolves, really strong tournament. Didn't really see that coming, to be honest. No, yeah. Very strong leadership, too. I mean, he, he played through a ton of, I don't know what, what the injury was, or just like crabbing up. I remember he got hurt against Spain, pretty much went down, was like, nah, I'm staying on. Somehow played the entire Portugal game, but eventually, like, had to get taken out early against France. But, like, tremendous leadership there. I, I think it's his last World Cup, too. So, yeah, what, what a way to go off. Another guy that I'd say is, um, and per, forgive me if I'm pronouncing it wrong, is Unani, number eight. Yep. That, that, that midfielder was, was, he was dancing around Portugal, which was incredibly frustrating to see. But <laughs> I bet you he gets another, another big move. Yep. And it's fun. It's funny enough, it's like, other than Hakimi, I would think like the name that everyone knows is Ziyech. And like he had a good tournament. He didn't have a he didn't have a he great tournament. I was gonna he, say that, dude. 
if if you were told that they would make the semifinals, the only way I would say that was possible before a tournament is that if like a ZH like played like potentially to be the player of the tournament. Yeah. Whereas he was just good. I just don't expect that from him. I just don't think that's really in his locker anymore. He might have peaked with that Ajax team, if we're being honest. Um, Hakimi, best right back in the world. Yeah, in- incredible and such a threat going forward. But but also but also so hard to get by with that speed. I just feel like he's good at everything. A right, a quality right back, a modern right back, or he obviously can play really well as a right wing back. Like I feel like he's. As he's great at everything now, like yeah. we saw, I think he might have that. sneaky had the assist of the tournament. Um, I believe it, it was against Canada, but he played a ball from like all the way on the right side, on the right, like probably a few yards behind the halfway mark, and he played a ball through to I forget who. And it's one of the best passes of the tournament. Maybe I'll throw in the link to that pass and that assist in the uh, the bio here. But he's so damn good, man. I was happy for him. Great of accomplishment, course. too. Of, of course he has to play for PSG because, you know, them, man. it'd be a shame to watch him weekly <laughs> against good teams. There are weird rumors, and I'm not just saying this. There are There are some rumors out there that he is very interested in coming back to Inter. I don't know how true that is, um, but I'd love to see him back in Syria. I, I saw some video of him celebrating in the locker room. I don't know what he said because, like, I scrolled by it, but I think he was, like, saying something about Inter or Milan or something, not Milan, about the city or something something that made people more probably want to start those rumors. But um, – you gotta wonder how many of those guys really wanted to leave the club versus like were pushed out because they needed money, and because Conte was gonna leave, right? That. So it's interesting. Who knows? Who knows, man? Um, incredible for Morocco. Fourth place finish is the best finish for any African team ever. Pretty amazing. Um, while we wrap on that, I want to quickly go to Croatia. It's unfortunate. I don't want. I can't. We can't spend too too much time here, um, because I do want to talk about a, a major point where um, that we do want to make to kind of close this show out. But Croatia, unbelievable! Like three million people in that country. Just think about that. And they've been to a World Cup final and a World Cup semifinal back to back. Like that would be that would be incredible for. I hate to say it. For Italy, who didn't even anybody, make the last two World any, Cups. Literally anybody. <laughs> for France. Yeah. yeah. For Germany. Like, really? Like, what the what the hell, man? Is Luka Modric the best midfielder of all time? I wouldn't say the best. I'd say one of the best. And how far up there? Top three. Top mm, top five. <laughs> it's hard. It's it's, it's top hard. five. I have trouble comparing errors and don't, styles. Don't do position. Don't don't go by position, go by overall impact, overall positive impact on the game plus trophy cabinet. Weigh the two out. Who are your top five? It's so tough, man. I I can try I, and get mine while you think about it. I'll go. Are you, are you in order or just top five? No order. No, I won't. I won't necessarily go order, but 
Pirlo, Mateus for Germany, Zidane, who was much more attacking, midfielder, Frank Reichardt, and Luka Modric. And Xavi and Iniesta just miss. I would go Modric. If we're going to yeah, have Zidane, we're going to count as midfielder. Modric, Zidane. I'm going to put Xavi in there. I'm not. I'm. I'm gonna not put in Iniesta. Wow. I'll do Pirlo, and I might do. Mm, this is tough. This is where it gets tough. See the the error thing too. I mean, I I like Hullet too. That's a, that's the problem. You you could put Hullet at five or four. Ooh, that's true. See Hullet, even though I put Zidane in as a midfielder, I feel like when you watch Zidane, he really did play in the midfield. When you watch Ruud Hullet, yes, so did he, but he he was really a can. Right. Like he was truly just he was a kid. I, yeah he's in that combo too. I, it's kind of I might put him in there. He's dead even with Frank Reichardt too. They were the both they were both the best at their position. Together. Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> incredible. Um, either way, I think the whole point is Modric is in this kind of conversation now, and it's important that he's doing this at thirty nine years old. Like Pirlo was thirty five years old. I remember him walking off the field in that final. Um, against Barcelona that we lost and you knew his career was over. Like he had given everything he possibly could have. Like Luka Modric has five champions league titles, three La Liga titles, almost won the world cup in the last world cup and came here, beat Brazil in an incredible game and went to the semis again. It's just guys. I'm He's not just playing these games. He's also like controlling these games. True. It's, it's important to talk about the the style of play that he actually has. Like the guy does everything you could possibly ask a midfielder to do. It's unbelievable. Really, I'll, I'll, miss, I'll miss watching him play when he's done. I think we all will. Yeah, hundred percent. The good news is, if he keeps on at this rate and he's still playing at Real Madrid, where they can give him adequate rest, he can probably keep doing this. So, um, yeah, Croatia. I mean, Brozovic, Kova, Kovacic, Modric is insane for any midfield like any national team's midfield they'd be happy to have players of those quality that quality Harisic was amazing again um Livakovic will probably go to a bigger club Guvardiol is about to get a bag um pretty amazing team congrats to Croatia for making the semifinals again last piece in the world cup here before we kind of close this podcast out you know I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but the quality of the play this year's World Cup was down from what I think we expected a World Cup. And you might call that being really critical, but let's just take a look at who were the best teams heading into the tournament here. I think France was the best team on paper, and they were missing Conte, Pogba, Benzema, and Nkunku. They gave up three goals in a World Cup final. They weren't particularly that good against England. I think they were pretty lucky to win that game. And it pains me to yeah. give England any credit, but they were lucky to have beaten England in that game. They didn't play well. Um, they really didn't light up Morocco, and everybody was expecting them to do that. Again, credit to Morocco for playing really well. But if this is a team like France, supposed to be the best team, the favorite by far, you got to win that game in a probably more comfortable fashion than they did. Brazil looked like another favorite, really strong defense, best attack of the tournament, but 
unfortunately, it looks like it might just be a little bit too early for guys like Vinny Jr., Rodrigo, Rafinha, etc. Ever all of them struggled in their midfield. Look what happened when they had to play a really tough midfield like Croatia's. They just could they got overpowered and overrun, and Croatia was able to control the game just like we thought they would um, for longer periods than Brazil was. So, if those are the best teams at the tournament, including Argentina on paper, I would have to say like the quality of play was down. Do you agree? Yeah, even the other teams that could have made a run disappointed. Like we've talked about Spain. They were some uh, top five favorites to maybe win the tur- tournament. Um, Belgium somehow still ranked number two by FIFA, which is a terrible so ranking system. But obviously they were a joke. Germany was a top eight team. They weren't good, obviously. You know, um, Netherlands were solid, but not great. Just a, a lot of teams that could have been a lot better didn't impress at all. And you wonder how much that has to do with the tournament being in November and only having a week to prepare for injuries for, for some certain teams. But yeah, I, I, I guess at the end of the day, none of those teams were unbelievable. And I think it is still fair to say Argentina were, despite losing the first game, the most deserving team. I don't love saying that, but I think I would have to give credit where credit is due. And I think that's fair to say. Because there really isn't a team to compare it to. No, I I totally agree. I totally agree. I, and I hate to like say it like that. I'm not trying to sound too, too negative here. But, yeah, the play was down a little bit, and that's okay. It's honestly to be expected for a World Cup um, that gets played in the middle of December. But I'm really looking forward to the 2026 World Cup in North America. I mean, just from – The accessibility standpoint, obviously, for the U.S. men's national team, you're hoping a lot of those players are going to make some improvements over the next four years. Like, there's a lot of reasons to be excited for us as Americans heading into that, no? Yeah, absolutely. And there's some rumors floating around that the U.S. might be able to compete in the Copa America, which I think would be amazing, you know, to to get those guys to play against better teams in South America than just the freaking CONCAF qualifiers in the, in the Gold Cup and those tournaments. I think that'd be a great opportunity to see where, where we as a country stand next to other teams. So um, I'm hoping in those in these next four years, we can keep guys in Europe. They can continue to contribute. I really want Pulisic to get a move to a team where he can just, you know, fit better and play more. You want guys like West West to continue to improve. You want maybe Musa to get a big move, maybe not too big, but somewhere where he can contribute and, and grow. And you know, they're talking about Arsenal for him. I think Arteta does great with young guys, so maybe that could be a great move for him. I think that's the perfect move for him. I really do. He could actually that would be where he'd benefit the team the most, and it's the perfect jump for him because Arsenal, yeah, there's going to be a ton of pressure. It's the Premier League. It's the hardest league in the world. Uh, they are technically still in a title a title race right now, but you know it's not necessarily the same kind of pressure as when you go to like a. You know, I don't know if he's ready for this type of move, anyways. But like a a Real Madrid, a Barcelona back in the day, and maybe not today's Barcelona, but Manchester City, Liverpool, etc. So that's a good that's a good shout. That's there's a real possibility for that. Yeah, and and I'm hoping you know Berhalter can leave. I think he's 
done his part here and doing not much but something and I, I think he's his time is done and I, I I really don't like how he handled that Giovanna situation kind of talking about him behind his back what the hell it was that it, it didn't make any sense Gio's 20 years old he's amateur that well, was a whole other episode on the U.S. Yeah. national team too because like there's just a lot of problems and I, I hope like you said he's not there by the end um, looking ahead to European football coming back. You excited? I'm pumped. I mean, the World Cup was amazing. We, we just talked about it for a bit, and we, we, we've congratulated Messi. We've celebrated one of the best games the sport's ever seen. But, you know, I miss my team. I, I, I miss watching games midweek and the weekends. It's just different room for a club team, and – it's amazing to wake up on Saturdays and Sundays every week and be able to walk, to watch all those teams compete. So I, I do miss it. I'm I'm glad the World Cup happened. I really enjoyed it, but I do miss my team, and I'm sure you miss Juve too. Somehow I do. I'm pretty surprised, but I do. Is that is the Napoli is the Drake curse? Is it over? Did he break that curse? He or did is break Napoli, it. He broke it because because Argentina won. He put a million down. So. Messi broke the unbreakable. Fuck it. I mean, I was hoping for something with Napoli. I mean, like, for you and I, we pretty much need to rely on something like that to stop Napoli from winning Serie A. Um, I think Milan need to make some moves. And again, like, we can have a different Serie A episode, but, you know, Juve really need to keep the momentum that they had built uh, heading into the break, knowing that Chiesa and Pogba are well, Pogba maybe um, was on the way back. Inter, you know, haven't had the best Serie A season, but they have Porto in the Champions League, who's going to be tough for them. Um, we'll see what happens with their season. They could go a few different ways. We still don't even know what Roma's identity is with Mourinho. There's rumors that Mourinho could um, go and coach with the Portuguese national team. So a lot of different storylines to look at in Serie A. In the Premier League, we got Arsenal up five, down Gab Jesus. They're pro- they're gonna need another goal scorer to help them with Jesus out for three months at least. Um, and City are gonna have a rejuvenated Holland. <laughs> no World Cup. You and, think and any Bruyne, chance Arsenal? As far as Bruyne? I'm concerned, De Bruyne was out in the group, so he he's, he got yeah. a break. What a joke he was at that World Cup. I really don't want to even talk about that. It was pathetic, pathetic attitude from him. I think he lost them any shot at even winning a relevant game um, before it even happened. Yeah, but go, going back to Arsenal, I do feel bad. You know, they they had just about as a good of a first half of the season that you could imagine. And to lose a guy like that who wasn't, you know, finding the back of the net a ton, but he was still instrumental in the way they wanted to play, dropping in, creating, creating a lot of the attack. So that hurts a lot to see, but I, I'd love to see if they can, they can overcome that and, and keep the lead at the top for at least a little bit longer. Until he gets back, because you know we all want a good, a good race in the prem. Of course, we also have Newcastle at thirty points. You know they're only down seven. I think Arsenal, Arsenal, Man City might have a game in hand, but they're having an incredible season. Any chance they get there, they throw their name in there. I wouldn't say title race, but I think you know their goal should be top four, of course, and that's realistic. I agree we with you. We don't know what's happening with Chelsea. It's so hard to tell. I wasn't even going to talk about that. 
we just don't know what Parter is going to do in the second half of the year. Could be great, could be shit. You know, sometimes you know, could do so. Sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. shit. And and for Potter, we've seen there's a lot of shit. Yeah, he has been bad. I mean, I think that game against Brighton, I, I you know we know we all know how hard it is to defend against Deserby Ball, but that game against Brighton was uh, not his finest moment as a manager. It's going to be interesting, man. I'm very excited. La Liga, it's only really a two-horse race. Um, one thing I wanted to point out, the only real note I wanted to point out on La Liga, Barcelona are leading the league by two. They've allowed five goals in 14 games. Three of those goals came in El Clasico. Something to note there. Um, just in terms of the competitiveness of La Liga, I hate to say it, but um, I don't hate it that much because the La Liga president was talking about how Juve have to be banned from the sport and all that over some <laughs> couple of minor tax issues that you know people are blown way out of proportion i hope all right man i think that's a wrap for this this is a lot of fun thank you for coming on and doing this for the first episode obviously like i think people hopefully realize you know what i say like we talk about this shit all the time it's pretty easy to do so thank you for being the uh first guest thanks for having me all right pal appreciate it take it easy Thanks thanks to everyone that listened.